Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Backroom Politics. Good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics live on Blog Talk Radio. Live from a kind of separated version of the show. I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. I am broadcasting live from the Man Cave down in League City, Texas. Greetings from the beautiful Gulf Coast in Texas. Joining me as they do every Tuesday, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He is the man that we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Admiral Ken, how are you doing, sir? Fine, fine. Justin, say hello to God's country for me. Well, uh, joining me as they do every Tuesday also, he is the man that we know as the former Undersecretary of Commerce who served at last count under four presidents, longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington insider. He is the man we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Alan, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm good. Hey, we've got a huge show, lots to talk about. But we're going to start off with uh, the still-developing story coming out of Manchester, England. Uh, at about uh, just a little bit before 11 o'clock local time in Manchester, England, after the completion of a concert by U.S. singer Ariana Grande, a, a suicide bomber uh, exploded an improvised explosive device outside the Manchester Arena killing 22, injuring at last count 59. There are still several that are unaccounted for, but it has put the emergency services and the home office in the, in the United Kingdom on full alert. It has garnered a bunch of responses from international figures, including President Donald Trump while he was on uh, his way during his first international trip. Uh, Prime Minister, uh, Prime Minister, British Prime Minister Theresa May expressed deep concern and called it an act of cowardice. Uh, this morning, Prime Minister May stood up what they know as COBRA, which is the cabinet level office uh, where any situation garners all the key figures in British government together, uh, usually in response to an emergency situation like a terrorist attack. Uh, it is something that has shaken the inner workings of the British government. It has shocked the residents of Great Britain, and obviously our thoughts and prayers go out to those who lost their lives, who are still injured, and who are affected by this just tragic, tragic event in northern England. Uh, but it does call into question. Uh, number one, I'm going to start with you, Admiral Ken. Uh we do know the name of the uh, of the alleged attacker. He is a 22-year-old Brit who is of Libyan descent, named Salman Abdeh. This morning, ISIS 
issued a statement on their official news service stating that this was, in fact, an ISIS condoned, and this individual, Salman Abde, was, in fact, a jihadist working with ISIS. The question I have, Admiral Ken, it seems to me that this attack signals an escalation almost in the brazen attacks being undertaken by ISIS. Is this, is this something that is going to become the new norm? Is this something that we need to be concerned about and should address it as this is the first of what could possibly be many? Well, I, I think I think while ISIS has claimed um, responsibility for the attack, um, I think it still remains to be seen if they are telling the truth. Uh, they have they have reached out several times after attacks have taken place like this and tried to brand it as something that uh, that one of their own uh, committed. Uh, that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is that uh, there's been uh, a, a good amount of chatter. Uh, in the intelligence community and um, and outside of it, on the periphery of it, uh, the last few weeks about um, ISIS trying to do more. Most of their most of that chatter has been around uh, things that they try to do to airplanes. Uh, I think some of the conversations that have gone on here in Washington D.C. and we talked about this on the previous show, I believe, was that TSA is thinking about um, uh, not allowing. Computers, laptop computers on airplanes again. So, uh, you know, whether it's an escalation or not, I, I'm 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 not willing to say that at this point. But I think it it, it is safe to say that they have not gone away. Uh, they will continue to try to do things to the West uh, that they hold because they hold us in great contempt. Um, I think one of the, one of the things that we should take away from this is the speed at which British intelligence and emergency services have been able to, to put the pieces together on this. Um, you know, your typical typical you know, post-event investigation will involve uh, looking at CC, CCTV footage uh, to see if these people uh, were casing the joint, for lack of a better way of putting it, before they conducted the attack. Uh, we have not heard anything about what kind of, ex- uh, of explosive uh, has been used. You know, we we know that um, of the type that we know the type that, that ISIS typically uses, um, but the Brits have not uh, publicized uh, um, if, if they even know yet what type of explosive. So I think there's some there's some pieces that have to be put together as of yet to determine whether ISIS is blowing smoke or whether they really really did this or not. Alan Moore, this is now the second attack in Great Britain on an open or soft target, the arena being considered a soft target, uh, are we going to see a new norm come as a result of this, not just in Great Britain, but in larger cities worldwide? Well, I don't think it's a matter of are we going to see a new norm. This is the new norm. We have There's been a series of attacks uh, in other parts of Europe, uh, several in France and Belgium, um, uh, in Germany, and UK now a second time. Um, what what they're all trying to figure out is who's next. This didn't start here. This started several years ago as ISIS began to encourage um, folks who 
who came to Syria and then went home or who just wanted to play a role um, wherever they are, um, join these networks via social media, and there's not one network. There's apparently hundreds of different ways that uh, an an individual can join up, um, get either access to explosives or figure out, uh, I mean, with with the help of someone who knows what they're doing in a, let's say, in a shrapnel-filled explosive vest, which was the weapon in this case, um, or a truck full of stuff, uh, or just a rental truck that you run into people with. Um, and th- I, I think what, what, what uh, authorities don't know is in this new world, how do you protect yourself? And we've talked about this before. How do you know where an attack might be? What do you say to the public? What kind of security do you set up at uh, large, uh, at, at heavily attended events? In the case of the the concert um, uh, in in uh, in Manchester, um, there was security to get into the the arena. This guy showed up. He wasn't at the he wasn't at the event. He showed up at the end of the event and w- walked towards the arena as people were 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 pouring out and detonated his vest. So the 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 folks who happened to be close by were the ones who were the victims. Particularly, there's no there's no victim that's not sad, but somehow it's particularly uh, painful and and uh, and disturbing when the victims are little girls. Um, Ariana Ariana Grande, the the American entertainer, is 22 years old herself. Her big following is with kids. It's girls and and little girls, um, and and that's uh, the profile of the victims plus their moms. Um, yeah. And and uh, what what we what we know what we we clearly know is the folks don't care. The folks who are doing this don't care who the victims are. This is about terror. This is about trying to shut down normal life in the Western world. Um, and you heard it in Theresa May's comments that we, 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 will not, we will not stop being who we are. We will not stop being ourselves. Um, and and uh, uh, you will not intimidate us into shutting ourselves in and staying home. Having said that, if you're a parent, well, Ariana Grande already has canceled the rest of her European tour, um, uh, but if you're a parent and your kids want to go to some big event now in in the, the near future or intermediate future, what do you tell them? It does have an effect on people, no question. Yeah, but Ken, this brings up a very valid question, though, that has crossed my mind is, you know, with a large number of the victims being under the age of 21, many of them children – one victim who was killed as young as eight years old. Is there a possibility that ISIS could see a backlash with the attack and claiming the attack as theirs with the large number of victims being children as opposed to males or adults? And, or are they that callous about it? 
I, I, I think that you're, 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 I think that you're probably approaching this with, with the wrong mindset. You know, let, let's go back to something that President Bush said during, during his office and President Obama repeated uh, that, that, that we seem to have forgotten. There have been more Muslims killed by these extremist groups than there have been lessoners by several factors. And a great many of the Muslims that have been killed have been children. Children. Raqqa is, is, is basically a, a, a city under siege where, you know, week after week we've seen, we've seen pictures of, of bloody children on our newscast. And that so far, that backlash that you're speaking of has not taken place. It's not occurred. Um, it's unfortunate that I think, you know, Alan's word may be somewhat prophetic in the fact that this is the new norm. You know, you know, one of the things that I, that I, that I, that I, I think we got to discuss is the fact that this particular terrorist, um, as Alan pointed out, waited until this event let out. He did not penetrate the security court. He waited until people were coming out past the security court. And so that, that old, that old saying of, of, of see something, say something, it only works up to a point. And we think about the fact that, you know, we all from time to time get on an airplane. The safest place for me at an airport is on the other side of security. The worst place for me, my personal opinion, is going through security because that's the inflection point. That's where something bad can happen. And let's face it, there are not enough eyes around to protect us all the time. And that's what people like ISIS are counting on. Alan Moore, I know that this could be and is speculation, but there are some that considered this is a response by ISIS and its supporters for Donald Trump meeting with and being in Saudi Arabia, basically the arrival of the infidel in the sacred Arab Republic. Is there any possibility that there could be some truth in that, that Trump being in Saudi Arabia might have sparked this event from happening? You know, it, <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't add up to me, but that doesn't mean it, it, it didn't happen, that it was just some crazy thing that, 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 that triggered. The, the point is these guys are seeking uh, to kill wantonly in place wherever its followers are. And that can be all around Europe. It can be in America. It can be in uh, in the Middle East. Um, uh, and and so, if somebody were to say, somebody let's suppose somebody left a note that said, when he when the president went to Saudi Arabia, that pushed pushed me over the top. I would say, yeah, who knows, maybe. But these things typically aren't put together in a day or two or three or five, it takes time. This, this person had to figure out a target. He had to get this vest and these explosives and all this metal shrapnel that they, that they, that they cover themselves with. Um, there were probably, there was probably more than one person involved in getting the, the person outfitted. I just think, that it's and it's scary to, to 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 contemplate that there may be 
hundreds of plans underway in different parts of the world where people are trying to figure out if there are ways that they can make some impact and um, and feel like they're doing the work of this sick notion of of who uh, Allah is and and uh, I, I there are others who'll say it's America's behavior in the region it's America's uh, killing of innocents with drones but it's Sunni Shia it's not in its Sunni Sunni. Um, we we tend to think about Al Qaeda. We think about Iran. We think about now the, uh, what we're referring to as ISIS. The president's now referring to it as Daesh, which is the preferred kind of uh, 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 Arab re- reference because it, it puts it down as not true uh, Islam. But we're talking about those, the, you know, those several sectors, Hezbollah, Hamas, but I'm, been, I'm, I'm led to believe that there are scores of different little entities with their own twisted view of the world. They may or may not hook up with ISIS. They may or may not say, okay, we'll do this with you. Show us how to do this. Show us how to do that. But their cells with their own followers of small groups. It's not like they're 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 paying attention to somebody in the caliphate in uh, in 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 Syria. It's and so you stomp out one cell, one group, one leader, and there are others who don't who don't sprout up at that moment. They already have sprouted up, but they then emerge to fill the vacuum when somebody else dies. That's why it's so incredibly difficult and challenging to figure out how to respond. And Alan, it doesn't take, it doesn't take a lot of resources to do this stuff. Alan, Admiral, um, Admiral Kruitschek uh, was on CNN last night. He talked about the fact that in just the last, uh, since, the, since the beginning of this year, the, the, the British government has put down upwards of 20, 20 different uh, conspiracies to do harm uh, in Great Britain. That's the, thing, that's the ones that they know about. Um, you know, the intelligence services in this country, um, and, and, and I guess in uh, the Western intelligence services, have done a phenomenal job of, 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 of keeping us pretty safe. Um, when you think about the number of attacks that have been perpetrated here in the U.S., they are a fraction. They are a small fraction of the ones that, that the FBI and the CIA and National Security Agency has been able to stop. And, it, you, know, we, you know, we've got to be really, really good every day of the week. And all these guys have got to be as lucky because they're not going to stop trying. And, you know, and, and quite frankly, I think that's, you know, and I, we'll talk about this, you know, later on in the show. But I think that's probably why you're seeing the reaction of the intelligence services to, to some of the comments the president has made about them in the first days and weeks of, in office. These, these people work their butts off every day. And to say that, you know, they're dumb or that they're stupid or, or, or any other uh, 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 diminishing kind of comments about them is to do them a great, a great disservice. I mean, they, they are, I mean, we are talking hundreds of hundreds upon hundreds of leads that, 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 that sometimes go nowhere 
thousands of leads that sometimes go nowhere, and a few hundred that go somewhere, and they stop these guys. But the, you know, this is the new norm, and um, the, 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 uh, the intelligence services, they're, they're doing a pretty, a pretty good job right now. Alan Moore, um, looking at what happened in Manchester, looking at what happened in Whitehall the last time, uh, it, 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 there's there's a, there's a mind uh, there's a mind thought going around that possibly ISIS is starting to work its way west. Uh, is, is this a matter of that we can't detect it because it's random? Is there a pattern we can try and derive from what we're seeing first in France, now in England? It, it, you know, it, will it eventually come across the Atlantic? Well, of course, it already has come across the Atlantic, uh, and we've had San Bernardino, we've had Fort Hood, um, just for a, a, a couple of, of, of examples. We've had some some visible thwarted efforts in New York City. It, if if there were a pattern, I, I mean, I'm sure very smart people with high technology have looked for patterns, but I don't. I think this is much more. Um, that, that there is no pattern. It's it, it, if you can encourage folks whose minds have been turned to another place um, to do something, then they become independent agents, especially once they're prepared with weaponry to select a target and take on that target whenever they feel like it. And when, when, when the, the folks encouraging them are saying, use a knife, use a gun, use a car, use a truck, and then, my God, if you can get uh, some kind of a weapon, some explosive, absolutely. And when you, when, when you can convince people that dying for the cause makes you worthy in the eyes of this God, then you, it, it, it's virtually impossible to anticipate, to stop, and so on. That's why we spend so much money, so much effort trying to identify people who are on particular websites that encourage this kind of behavior. Um, and the, 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 the radical Islamists are uh, increasingly sophisticated in figuring out how to utilize um, the internet and social networks um, uh, without being discovered, without being found out. I mean, most of the people, most of the the things we uncover are, are, uh, in my understanding, via uh, the internet and penetrating uh, some of, some of these, um, websites, um, and and uh, but there are new ones. We every t- we shut one down, and the three new ones are created. It, it is uh, it is just a god awful challenge. And as Ken points out, it's twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year. We can never let up. Decisions constantly have to be made about who to monitor. Um, because we've identified thousands of possible um, uh, individuals who might take it upon themselves 
to to perform a solo act or an act with with the cooperation of uh, one, two, three others. Um, you can't watch them all, so you try to figure out who's the, the the greatest risk, and then inevitably, not inevitably, but it's not uncommon when we do identify somebody who did commit an act, we say, oh, that was a person known to us, and we we were uh, performing some kind of uh, some level of surveillance, um, right. you know, and might just be electronic. It it is. It, the key to the whole thing here is you got people willing to die for this cause and who have no conscience whatsoever about who they harm. That combination is just scary as hell and well nigh impossible to, to control in any, you know, in any in systemic way. We just have to still... Um, be diligent about about investing the money and doing it again and again and again and again um, in the hope that sometimes some way something will happen somewhere this isn't you know this isn't dealing with the the, the the head of North Korea where we're hoping he will be a rational person but we at least sort of know who the main guy is um, the, 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 these are thousands of individuals whose minds have been turned Admiral Ken, looking at this and looking at what happened in Manchester, is is this enough to get renewed pressure both on the Trump administration and the administration of our allies in the region to increase efforts to become more tactical in dealing with the question of how do we destroy ISIS? Does this now at least set in motion the possibility of a larger military presence in the region to actively chase down and crush ISIS? I, I don't know. You know, it, I think it's kind of interesting that, you know, that this attack came on the heels of President Trump's speech in Saudi Arabia, where he implored uh, our allies in the region to, uh, to drive them out. And he, he I mean, he, I, he came about as close as I've ever seen him uh, to, to doing it, but not doing it. Uh, in, in, in beating the podium, drive them out. And I think that this particular terrorist attack, if nothing else, was a perfect punctuation mark uh, in that speech. Um, you know, it, it goes back to the, the comment that you asked at the top of the show. Is this enough? Uh, is, is, is this attack on, on, on ostensibly women and children enough to basically turn, turn uh, the world against these people? Um, I honestly don't know. When you think about the fact that they're getting funding from somebody, uh, ostensibly Iran, uh, possibly uh, friends and friends and family in, in, the, in a number of other Arab states, uh, two, um, they they are uh, they're being aided uh, to some extent by the West uh, because every other week or so we're coming out with a new app that you can put on the mobile device that makes encryption much more, more difficult than it than it was the day before. Um, when you uh, think about the fact that, um, you know, the popularity of the United States in the West is, is, is still kind of – the population of the United States and the West is still waning. I honestly don't know. I, I really don't. I think, I, think, I think, unfortunately, time will tell. Uh, I think that um, until something 
know, like this um, uh, happens maybe in, in possibly in the homeland uh, of um, some of the, the, the Arab countries, uh, that might that might be enough. I honestly don't know. I think it's I think it's interesting that for all of the noise that uh, ISIS leadership makes about the um, the decadence of the West, um, uh, places like uh, uh, Dubai go untouched. Well, we're going to let that be the last word. We're going to take a quick break here. Uh, when we come back, yeah, I do have one more thought. When when go we ahead. come back, I'll, I just want to close out a thought. Okay. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll have Alan's last thought on the Manchester situation, and we're going to talk about Trump's big field trip, his first dip in the international pool. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio from a diverse, diverse setting, me being here in Houston and our guys back inside the National Capital Region. We will be back in three minutes. Stay with us. This is Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in a few minutes. Stay with us.
Because we, we, Ken was talking about how they, they they do need money to do what they're doing, and there is no doubt about that. But but I will simply say that the stuff that's really expensive for the caliphate is to is to take and hold land and and maintain control of people. They expect services. They expect some kind of of governmental structure. At one point, the, the caliphate uh, uh, held a fairly large uh, chunk of land in uh, in Syria and Iraq. And it has lost much of that land. It could not sustain the, the 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 financial and security needs of a large population. So, in terms of the caliphate, which it hoped would expand and, if, if you will, in their mind's eye, take over um, uh, all of uh, all, all of the the Middle East, the the land is shrinking. Having and, and some of that is because of the, just the simple lack of resources. The 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 oil that they had access to at one point that they could sell, that's gone away. Antiquities that they steal and sell, that shrinks. You know, it, it's it's really hard for them uh, even uh, to to get money. Even if they have rich benefactors in Saudi Arabia or or Dubai or the UAE, and they they do have some, that becomes harder. It's less visible, and you have to use financial institutions. So in terms of their resources, they're shrinking. In terms of the havoc that they can wreck by utilizing suicide killers um, on, on a random basis all over the Western world, that has, seems to become their new, uh, uh, their, their new activity of choice. And some of it's because of the lack of resources, and some of it is because they've had people who came to Syria they trained, they learned, they fought, they left, they went home. Their minds are still in a state of confusion or a true belief with regard to some of the stuff that they've been taught. Um, and, and so, unfortunately, it doesn't take much in the way of resources to rent a truck and drive it through a crowd in America to get yourself uh, uh, weaponized with, with, with guns and, 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 and go into a crowd. I don't know how hard it is to come up with a suicide vest and so on. It's it's not simple, but it's not a huge uh, uh, expenditure. And and the, the, this is why it's you can't cut things off at the head because there is no real head. There's 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 heads scattered all over the place, and uh, uh, we're 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 doing the best we can. We in America, Europe is stepping up, spending tens of billions of dollars um and and uh what what a horrendous waste to humanity that we are diverting so many attention so much attention and resources 
to just trying to maintain uh, uh, a way of life. But that is right. the new normal until right. until something else changes. Now, very valid point. Thank you for that, Alan. Hey, we're going to pivot a little bit. It kind of ties in, but uh, for those who don't know, uh, President Trump is kind of rising concerns within his administration here domestically and took his first field trip overseas, uh, starting with a meeting and landing in Saudi Arabia, where President Trump was received by Saudi King Salman and the royal family. And to total Saudi Arabian pomp and circumstance in a way that they can only do. But the big question in the Saudi visit is, and Alan, I'll go back to you. Is there some sort of fixing that Donald Trump has to do with the relationship between Washington and the Saudi royal family? Or was this to solid up the current relationship and grow from there? Well, so uh, there's always some level of tension with with uh with with the Saudis uh we we know they're really important in the world of oil and in the world of uh, financing and supporting some of some of our allies in the region we also know that there are wealthy Saudis who contribute financially to uh uh to to enemies uh uh, and we also know that the society under which uh, the, the Saudis live uh, does not have the respect for, uh, for human rights, for legal rights, for women's rights that we uh, uh, have as part of our identity and that we, uh, that we advocate uh, in the world. Um, what President Trump seems to be doing on that latter point, um, and this, it's not just the president, his administration is saying, we're not going to come and lecture you on how to live. We want to, we, we, we want to, to be your allies in fighting our common enemies. Uh, we want to focus on economic development that can work to all of our betterment. Um, and in so doing, they're putting uh, uh, human rights um, uh, onto the back burner. Some people would say they're taking it off the stove altogether. I, it's an awkward shift um, and one that uh, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to figure out. The, the Saudis haven't changed much uh, in, in their society under pressure from, uh, from America and the West. It just annoys them that we that we tell them um, what they should and shouldn't do uh, vis-a-vis women's rights. Um, I don't think we should stop talking about it, but there is something to be said for not having that be the only thing we talk about when we know it aggravates them. I and I don't pretend to say that's the only thing we talk about, but it it it's uh, it's a hard call. The the, the president and his uh, administration have decided to to ramp up the emphasis on other things and at the same time reduce the emphasis um, uh, on human rights. Maybe it's worth a try and we'll see if some, some positives come of it. I mean, if, for example, we annoy the Saudis less and some of the people who've been providing funds for terrorist groups 
say, okay, I'm not as mad as America now, so I'll try to cut that money off. If they have that choice, if they're not being blackmailed and extorted and threatened and so on, which is something that's not visible to to us, um, just because somebody gives significant amounts of money to our enemies doesn't mean that they're true believers. It may mean that they're uh, they're they're being told that they and their children will die if they if they don't provide the money. Um, it, 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 remember though, this trip was not just about Saudi Arabia. There were there were thirty other countries represented there. Yeah, so this was this was a big audience. And the president the president did well in his speech, which he stuck to, um, and he didn't he he didn't step in things. Um, he didn't make himself available. Uh, uh, to the press, um, he's been he's been very disciplined. Um, we see that from time to time with him. He'll give a good speech, he'll stay disciplined, and then he won't. And all of a sudden, there'll be a tweet storm or a new disclosure um, that that's uh, that that sets back, you know, one step forward, two steps back when something else happens. Um, this was a very very important change. <laughs> change of focus and change of mood uh, that this is that this White House needed, given what was what they left behind when they uh, flew out of town last Friday. Uh, Admiral Ken, we saw the president leave Saudi Arabia and took, for the first time, a flight from Riyadh to Tel Aviv, which has not happened ever. In the meetings with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, and uh, also this morning had a meeting with President Mahmoud Abbas, the head of the Palestinian Authority. Both sides seem to be praising Trump for his aggressive efforts leading towards Middle East peace, particularly between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Is Donald Trump the president that could finally bring peace to the two sides and get both sides on board with his agenda? If I say yes, will you give me $100? No, I don't have $100. If I say no, if I say no, will you give me $100? (laughs) Uh, I I don't know. Uh, You know, one of the things that that the president uh, prided himself on during, during his campaign was the fact that he was a negotiator. Um, you know, and and um, and I remember, I guess, in a press conference a few days before he went on this trip, um, he made he said basically, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, I don't believe it's going to be this tough to do. Well, gosh, you know, I remember m- my grandfather um, was a very very learned Baptist deacon, and he basically, when I was at the age of maybe nine or ten years old, uh, you know, prophetically said there will always be problems between. In the, uh, uh, in the Middle East, between the, the, the Jews and, and, and the, uh, the Arab, their Arab na- neighbors, um, you know, I, and I have not seen anything in, in, in my 50 years to, to, to believe that, that my grandfather was wrong. I don't know. I don't, you know, great if he does. You know what? Awesome. That would be really good for us economically because we can bring a lot of those troops home. Um, we could start, you know, rebuilding our infrastructure and uh, and, and truly. You know, stepping out on, on the president's campaign promise of making America great again in the right ways, in the right places. I don't know, but, you know, based on what I've seen so far um, out of this administration, I am at best dubious. 
Alan Mort, I mean, President Trump, this, as, as late as this morning, uh, in his joint presser with Mahmoud Abbas, said, and I quote, both sides are ready to reach for peace. I pose the question to you. Is Donald Trump the president that could finally bring peace with his close relationship to the Israeli government and a newfound relationship with Mahmoud Abbas? Could he bring peace to the region? Sure. It's entirely possible. Um, it's highly unlikely, however. And if it does happen that, that under Trump, um, under, under President Trump, um, uh, some major strides would be made, um, it, it, he, I think one would have to look at the context in which uh, these, these negotiations occur when, when deciding what to attribute the success to. He has shown, he certainly has very little knowledge of, of the history of the, the region, of the complexities of the relationships. Um, he, he's hoping that his, uh, his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and his ambassador um, can, can, can bring a lot of knowledge uh, to bear to, to this thing. His, his son-in-law may be a very smart guy, but he doesn't have uh, the historical background. If there's a breakthrough, I think one has to say, wow, how did that happen? Was it because the president really is such an amazing deal maker, or is it because the timing finally got to a point where in the region leadership began to say, we need to come together. Iran is a massive threat to this region because it looks like uh, it in not that many years could be on a path to having a nuclear weapon. We can't let that happen. Terrorism is ripping us all apart. It's not just killing people in, uh, in Europe. It, it kills many more uh, in the region. Um, and um, these, these external forces uh, bubbled up at the time they did. And, and, you know, and Obama, President Obama had some problems um, in the region, some problems of credibility and emphasis that, that turned off uh, some of uh, uh, the, (laughs) the important players in the region. I'm not trying to blame him, but it's almost like any change was going to be helped would would have helped. Hillary Clinton would have been a change. Uh, Donald Trump is a change. Uh, another Republican candidate is a change. There's a chance to take another look, um, but 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 it's the it's what's going on in the neighborhood of uh, of the the toll of terrorism and the fear of Iran that that perhaps creates a different opportunity that an American president, no matter who he or she is could conceivably take advantage of, and it could be Trump. Wow. And in the uh, background, and, and, I'm sorry, Justin, and in the background, you've got, you've got some other things going on. First, uh, uh, President or Prime Minister Netanyahu is himself under investigation under some pressure, and uh, he, may, he may be forced out of office. And Mahmoud Abbas um, uh, is, is, not also, is also not doing very well with his people. To Alan's point, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of change going on right now 
and um, anything that anybody does um, is, it could be undone by the simple movement or removal of any of the, one of those three people. Well, one of the other headlines coming out of the president's trip was actually in Saudi Arabia, where the president presented a $110 billion foreign military sales program to the Saudi regime. Uh, That has sparked some consternation within the, the Republican Party back here in the United States. In fact, Senator Rand Paul has Uh, brought up the idea of calling for a vote on approving the deal. Uh, Is this a situation, Admiral Ken, where possibly Donald Trump was writing checks that his administration just can't cash, and does it make sense to fight this military sale to the Saudi government? Well, you know, on the the first question, uh, I'm not not sure that um, there's that that doesn't just kind of capsulize a lot of things that are going on right now. Um, you know, I think if, when you look at the fact that the, the Saudis, um, with the exception of most of the 9-11 terrorists coming from, from Saudi Arabia, um, have, have been uh, an okay ally for a good long period of time. Um, if, if, the, if, the belief, if the belief on the administration is that they're going to be a bulwark in, in helping to put down um, some of the extremist organizations that we spent the first the first hour talking about, then I think this is something that that, that the Congress is probably not going to have a hard time getting behind. Anything short of that, I, I think a lot of debates going to take place. Alan, was this too big a move for the president to bring that deal this early in his administration to an ally that many in the uh, Congress look at as slightly suspect? No, I, I think that, that these deals take years to put together. This isn't something that Donald Trump and a couple of guys put together with some Saudi princes. It's a 10-year uh, sale, but but when you're talking about uh, $10, $11 billion a year on average worth of sales, this stuff has been in the works for a long time. And there are people in in Washington, like Rand Paul, who who's a who's a big time skeptic about the economic connection and arms sales that we've had. This is not new for him, so it would have been much more surprising if he had embraced this idea. But this Trump gets to announce it, but but this didn't start with with the, the Trump presidency. Yeah, there's all sorts of pieces to this, some of which go back several years, some of which are renewals of. Of deals that were that were coming to an end, um, I, I don't ask me what's in it because I don't know. But 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 what I do know is this stuff takes a lot of time negotiating what we'll sell, um, what will uh, allow them to to what what kind of technology will transfer, how much they can build on their own. But this isn't a matter of of of, of Trump writing checks. This is a matter of the U.S. Uh, <laughs> The, U- the U.S. aerospace industry cashing checks and selling stuff. <laughs> so th- th- this is this is this is jobs for America. This is joining together even closer with the Sa- at the hip with Saudi Arabia. So it's one of those things we don't like their record on human rights and their record on the treatment of women. 
and we like and we need them. They're our strongest ally, partly economically and because they're 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 not complete idiots. Um, so we hold our nose um, on uh, on human rights, uh, women's rights issues, and just hope for the best with them uh, as an ally because they're the best we got. By the way, I got to break in real quick. Uh, breaking news coming out of Great Britain: uh, Prime Minister Theresa May has just raised the security threat level to critical in the United Kingdom, uh, which the knowing the British government and the way that the Home Office works and and uh, the Ministry of Defense works, it, that is a big, big signal that there are possibly other threats inside our allies in England. Uh, Admiral Ken, is that something that could drive our threat level up? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Um, The the coordination between MI5 and the CIA uh, is probably tighter now than it ever has been. Uh, When you think about the amount of travel that goes on between the United States and Great Britain, on a, on a daily basis, uh, the, the opportunity for, for the bad guys to, you know, to, to, to plant something on a plane or get on a plane and fly here and do something. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Alan Moore, this has got to be on the radar of Homeland Security Secretary General Kelly. Uh, does, does General Kelly have a con- should General Kelly have a concern that American soil could be next in this? Well, we... we, we... <laughs> There's nothing new there, right? That that we've been a target uh, for years now. Uh, we know they're a, a, a we're a major target. We're a major excuse uh, for most of these uh, terrorist groups. They hate us, but they hate others too. Thank God they don't just hate us. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, the fact that that there's so much hate uh, and so many potential targets. Uh, is is the, the thing I was mentioning earlier in terms of the the, the possibility of Mideast peace with with Israel simply because Israel looks at Iran as enemy number one and these terrorist groups as as uh, you know a, a, a massive serious threat and as more uh, Arab countries come to the same conclusion about Iran and about terrorists then then they are driven towards each other uh, in in some areas of of international affairs. America, we share intelligence with with Western countries. We share methods. We we share techniques. We're looking at some of the same people um, and, and, uh, and, and looking at the same kinds of networks. And as activity ramps up and uh, on on the internet for example or these these things that we're surveilling then the the western europeans um raise their threat levels we do the same thing we're not doing it because theresa may is doing it we're doing it because our own independent assessment of all this activity is shared viewed and 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 uh, and we respond in kind. The the problem is, what does that mean when you raise the threat level? Do you, you know, is it tougher to get on an airplane? Is it long, longer lines at the airport? Um, uh, what's it mean for baseball games uh, in America? Um, uh, do we 
enhance further um, the uh, uh, the requirements for getting into an arena. We got the NBA uh, finals coming up. Um, uh, somebody could drive up uh, on a motorcycle with a suicide vest and hop out as uh, as the game's letting out. It's just not unlike uh, the concert in Manchester. What do you do about that? Do you create a larger perimeter? I mean, there are things that 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 people who wrestle with stuff all the time are thinking about, but there's no there's no fail safe. There's there's no there's no tactic you can use. Uh, and and you, you, we don't want to say, hey. No, no spectators are going to be allowed for the NBA Finals. It's all going to be on television. So enjoy. Right. Um, well, I want to, I want to, I want to close out real quick our discussion on uh, President Trump's uh, overseas trip, uh, and I want to close out by asking the question: Traditionally, other presidents have kind of kept it on continent when they've made their first trip overseas. President Bush went to Mexico for his first overseas trip to meet with President, then-President Vicente Fox. Uh, we saw President Obama make his first overseas trip, or his first foreign travel, rather, to Ottawa and visit our neighbors to the north in Canada. Was, was this too big of a reach for President Trump to be this aggressive in his first foray overseas? Should he kept it close to home? Was a gutsy move on part of the administration? Admiral Ken, I'll start with you. Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I don't think so. I think that, um, you know, he, he, he had to, you know, make a trip at some point. Uh, I don't think that president Trump knows how to do anything on the, on the DL as, uh, as my son would say. Um, so no, I, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think that, and quite frankly, I, I would agree with the comment that Alan made at the top of the segment that, uh, um, he went to Saudi Arabia He's gone to Israel now. Um, he, he, he stayed on script with his speech. He didn't freelance. And because of that, we don't have anything controversial to talk about um, from, uh, from, his, from his trip. I mean, uh, even, even attempts to make light of, of him participating in the, sword, in the sword dance got put down pretty quickly. So, no, I don't think so. Alan Moore, you agree? I do. I do. I, I think that, you know, this opportunity presented itself. And he was able to figure out how to how to be able to go directly from Saudi Arabia to Israel, which which, as you mentioned, was a was a was a first. But I think that the that that the Arab countries wanted him. Israel wanted him. He said, look, I, I want to go to both, but I got to do it this way. And I don't know what the flight path was, but but uh, uh, whether they had to fly. I mean, well, they, they would have they would have had to fly over a third country anyway. Um and and then he goes to Rome, and then he goes to Belgium, and then he comes back. Uh, I mean, there's a G7 meeting in here. It was sort of like, hey, I think I was hearing at one point that he was complaining about how long the trip was. Um, but the, the the notion was he's touching base with major uh, with 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 countries associated with the with the the major religions of the world. He'll meet with the Pope, um, and he's. Been, he was with he was in Israel. He was with these heads of Arab countries, um, and uh, more power to him. And if he stays online and uh, on on uh, stays disciplined, and God forbid uh, uh, nothing. Uh, I mean, God willing, uh, nothing horrible uh, happens along the way where he is. 
Um, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying uh, the, the, the horror of Manchester, but um, you know, this, this, it, it's a wonderful diver, diversion for him, a learning experience for him. Um, it gives some exposure to the, to the new guy. They, they're fascinated with Melania. They're even more fascinated with Ivanka. Um, uh, there's a lot to, uh, to, to pay attention to and talk about, stay on script, meet some people, come home, and, and it gives a, a little different perspective on some of what's going on back here at home, which he and his senior people were very happy to get away from. I know we will be talking about that, but uh, uh, a necessary break that so far, knock wood, uh, seems to be going very well for them. And and just so, just to touch on it, obviously, Alan, you brought it up. Uh, the president still has a meeting with uh, NATO leadership as well as uh, meeting with the G7. Uh, is is there an expectation that President Trump could come back with a new message, a new mindset coming back from these meetings, which we'll obviously cover next week? Ellen Moore, I'll start with you. Every experience this man has overseas at senior at highest levels of, with other countries and government leaders contributes to a new mindset. He is he he is seeing things and getting information both in the preparation and in the actual exposure that he has shown no evidence that he's ever thought about before. And that, in my judgment, is all to the good. And I don't mean, I mean, we've all been critical of him, of how, what he knows, what he doesn't know, what he reads, doesn't read, how he gets briefed, how much history he knows, and so on. And he's he's pretty weak in all of those areas. If he were a little more humble about it, it would be better. He just because he thinks he knows more than he knows, and that's always dangerous. Um, but but he's learning. You see, when you see things, when you're briefed, when you reflect after the fact, when you're watching world events and news, um, it it's it each time each incident, each event is is creating a worldview that contribute can contribute to a more knowledgeable um, sort of Trump doctrine, uh, which, which may take, you know, which, which is still in the formative stage. Admiral Ken, is, is there hope within the senior flag level officers at DOD that this trip to NATO might be a learning experience that we might see a new position or a new mindset from Trump? Is that the expectation? They're they are on their knees every night, man. <laughs> well, we'll let that be the last word. We'll obviously be discussing the G7 meeting and the NATO meeting next week uh, here on Backroom Politics. When we we're going to take a quick break. We're going to take about a quick one and a half minute break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about the rising problems domestically that the administration is facing, from the testimony of former CIA Director Brennan in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee today, uh, as well as the budget that was just put out by the White House, as well as the continuing saga involving former Army General Michael Flynn. It gets better and better. You can't make this stuff up. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is Backroom Politics live from a split screen. I am here at the Man Cave here in League City, Texas. And my partners in crime... 
Admiral Ken Carradine and Admiral, and Alan Moore back up in the D.C. area. We'll be back in one and a half minutes. Stay with us. of 
immunity for Flynn testifying, saying, and I quote, it is a waste of time to have people appear only to invoke their Fifth Amendment rights. It is then spurned by the fact that today, uh, former CIA director under Obama, John Brennan, testified on the Hill today that uh, he basically came out and said that Russia may have successfully recruited Trump campaign aides and says he became aware of information and intelligence that revealed contacts and interactions between Russian officials and U.S. persons involved in the Trump campaign that I was concerned about because of known Russian efforts to suborn such individuals, quote-unquote. He continued, quote, and it raised questions in my mind, again, whether or not the Russians were able to gain the cooperation of those individuals. This has been a bad week. Let's start with, let's start with first the appointment of the special counsel. Uh, last week, I, on, on our partners at Sidewire, had a chat with former uh, Deputy Independent Counsel, Elliot Burke, who worked under Ken Starr during the Bill Clinton impeachment trial, where we started talking about the efforts of the special counsel versus the independent counsel, whereas now the special counsel reports directly to the Deputy Attorney General, but is still seen as having independent authority. He does have the the authority to subpoena, and it can involve criminal charges should he find evidence of such. Alan Moore, is this this a big hit to the administration, the fact that his own Justice Department deemed it necessary to appoint a special counsel in this situation, or could this help Trump and his message? Well, so <laughs> I think in an odd way, and I said this before, that the the Democrats needed to be careful how much they were screaming for. They loved, the, the phrase they preferred was uh, a special prosecutor, but under the law, the correct term is special counsel. Uh, but it just sounds tougher. Prosecutors prosecute, counsels investigate, and then should they find reason to uh, to recommend charges, then they then they bring that forward. The law allows for the creation of a special counsel. So that law, that even though some people still like to use the incorrect term, uh, they do. But as as I was saying last week, that the Democrats better be careful because if you have a special counsel appointed, then all of the focus moves towards the special counsel and the congressional investigations where they can spade around, nose around, haul people up, beat them up, yell at them, accuse them, and so on, um, will be greatly diminished. And you've already seen this. Uh, uh, there was a, a much publicity over the weekend. Oh, um, uh, <laughs> former FBI Director Comey, James Comey, is going to be uh, testifying next Wednesday. And I said to my wife, I'm betting right now that won't happen. Um, Mueller's going to have something to say about that. Mueller wants to uh, talk to these people first, and now it's been postponed, right? So my guess is it will be continue to be postponed until Mueller can talk to them. And I think the same thing may occur um, with uh, with Dan Coats and and Mike Rogers, um, who got into the news this week. 
um, or they will agree that there's certain questions they will simply not talk about. Um, and and uh, because all of this ties in with the special counsel's investigation, and that is the investigation that is has primacy over any other uh, investigation uh, on any any congressional investigation. So it it, it had gotten so bad uh, last week when it came when it turned out that that Trump had met privately with Comey and urged him to. To, to, to drop the Flynn investigation um, and uh, uh, that 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 Rosenstein, the, de- the deputy attorney general who was who felt used when his memo was cited initially by White House spe- spokespeople as the reason, the rationale for for Trump to fire Comey. And the, of course, the, the memo was written after the president told them that he was going to fire uh, Comey because he lost uh, uh, lost trust in him, thought he was a showboat. Um, and uh, and then uh, Rosenstein wrote a memo that, that drew on the thinking of a lot of former attorneys general and, and deputy attorneys general as to the mistakes that Comey made uh, back last July in the way he handled and announced the findings of the uh, the initial email investigation, and then the way he behaved when he reopened it, and then closed it all in the in the two weeks before the election. So, so Rosenstein had gotten himself into this position where he thought, "What the heck? Um, I I need to get out from under this. My own the the department's re- reputation and my own personal rep- uh, reputation are tied up in this. Let's turn it over to a special counsel, and then let you know see where the chips fall." Um, it, 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 it didn't ultimately surprise me given those late, uh, developments. It had been my hope that they would be able to let the the Congress look at this and the FBI look at this. Um, remember there's two things that they're looking at. Well, let me, I'll, I'll stop and we'll come back to that. I'll let, I'll let you guys talk. Yeah. Admiral Ken, uh, the, the question to you is, you know, is, has the deputy attorney general, by appointing a special counsel to investigate, you know, the Russian question, which includes Russian involvement, uh, the possible or the possibility that those inside the Trump White House had, in fact, had unusual contact with Russian government officials, on top of the fact that you have the Flynn question that keeps breaking up, is is this enough? to get the Republicans to say, okay, we're going to back down for a second, let Mueller do his investigation and figure it out that way? Or is there fear inside the party that this could lead to criminal charges, including the article uh, out of the New York Times last week, which stated that a possible criminal investigation being conducted by the FBI could implicate uh, at least a couple of very close insiders in the Trump White House, how scared should the party be? Uh, the answer to the first two questions is yes and yes, and the answer to the last question is is uh, very much so. So um, I think that you know in the in the in the uh, the comments of some of the Republican uh, House and Senate members, they're already starting to hedge their bets. You know, they're saying, look, you know, um, you know the uh, 
they, they, they were trying to figure out which way to go because so much, so much smoke was coming out of uh, the, the big white house on Pennsylvania Avenue that uh, they couldn't ignore it. Uh, although a few, a few of them had tried, uh, I think in the form of uh, Lindsey Graham, um, John McCain, and uh, one or two others whose names don't come immediately to mind, they were, they, they basically kind of breathe a collective sigh of relief because they don't have to worry about whether this stuff's going to get looked into or not anymore, and and whether they were, you know, standing beside the, the, the uh, back in the wrong horse, if you will. Um, if this, if this continues to develop, uh, if it 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 uh, it, it goes down um, the, the wrong the wrong road, um, um, we, we know from from uh, from from uh, the former CIA uh, director's uh, comment, comments today that, that there were members of the, of the, of the campaign in touch with Russian officials. Um, this, this could really not be a good, uh, a good week uh, for uh, President Trump to, to bring, uh, to come back to the White House. It's only going to get, get, uh, get more, more interesting. Uh, uh, Alan Moore, a lot of what we've seen in the reporting coming out of the New York Times, the Washington Post, and other sources are starting to paint a very grim picture of the Russian question as it relates to the Trump administration. Many are calling, you know, many are calling for possible criminal charges to be brought. Some have even used the I word impeachment, including one or two inside the Republican party. Has this thing grown out of hand that the Trump administration can't even try to curtail it or walk it back, particularly with, the news coming out of Washington today that Trump may have asked the intel chiefs to deny Comey and the FBI's assertion that there was contact? So, no, he, to deny there was collusion. Uh, everybody, everybody knows there was contact. Um, I'm sorry, collusion. Correct, so correct. If, if, if I'm with, – with regard to the, the impeachment word, if, if I can see Richard Nixon rolling over in his grave saying, wait a minute, this nonsense is – is is impeachment this nonsense is linked to to what I did? Hell no! I was trying I was trying to get this. I was ordering the CIA to shut down the investigation on national security grounds. This is amateur hour over in this current White House. This is this is a president who is ignorant about the boundaries of of what you do and don't do. He doesn't seek advice of his his counsel, who I, one has to assume would would know what what to do and what not to do. Um, and if he does get he does get uh, advice, he doesn't follow it. Here's how I see this thing with with the president. And I read I, and I some of this came from just watching everything. But I last night I, I reread in detail his interview with Lester Holt, which got him into so much trouble. But because it came on the the day after the line from the White House was. Yes, the president has fired Jim Comey because of the contents and arguments made in this letter from from Rod Rosenstein, the uh, the new deputy attorney general. And and Trump knew that wasn't true. It's just no one else understood everything. And he came out and he said, no, I already decided I was going to get rid of this guy. This guy was a showboat. I had lost confidence in him. Everybody likes to say that it was in that interview that he – he acknowledged that the Russia issue contributed. And then some of the Democrat 
I'm sorry Dan isn't here because he probably would have said this, and then I could have jumped on him, um, uh, were saying he acknowledged that he fired Comey over the Russian investigation. It's, it's simply not what the Lester Holt interview reads. What he was trying to do, and it's really interesting when you look at it and sort out all the crosstalk and the interruptions and back and forth that was going on, it's very clear that the president was, what he was saying, I want to get to the bottom of the question of whether the Russians had any influence on this election. That can't happen. We need to get to the bottom of it. He repeats it several times. Yeah, but what but he Alan, objects Alan, to. Alan, let me, what he, what? let me just interject something here real quick. Because I don't think it was necessarily the Lester Holt interview that you're talking about that has gotten it was the conflicting messages coming out of the Oval Office where he says, I just acted on the authority and the recommendation of the Deputy Attorney General with the approval of the Attorney General, who should have been recused from the discussion anyway. Then on top of that, when it started falling apart, that argument he then goes on Lester Holt and says, no, you know what, I was going to fire him anyway. It seems that there's no... No, 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 no. You, you, you are conflating stuff. He never spoke. He let his spokespeople say it was the Comey letter. When he got a chance to speak, right out of the box, he made it clear to Lester Holt. He made the decision. He'd already made the decision. This is why the, the, the White House staff felt so undercut, because they, they thought the line was... It was the Comey letter. He said, no, 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 I'd already decided. He was a showboat. I didn't have any confidence in him. But, but let me just finish my thought here. He, he has not given any credit, the president, for saying again and again in that interview, I want to make sure that the Russians didn't influence our election and uh, the Russians or anybody else. That's really important. What he objects to is the notion that there was collusion between his people and the Russians. And even there, he separates himself. This was, I'm convinced, the whole reason he was saying, you, Mr. Comey, told me three times I was not under investigation. He's in effect saying, I know I'm not under investigation. I don't think there's any reason to believe that my people were colluding. But I can really only speak for me. He kind of separates himself from his people, even though it annoys him and he still sees the, the underlying rationale being that there was collusion, it worked, and he was an illegitimately elected president. That just drives him crazy. And that's what the business of talking to Comey, leave Flynn alone. Can you, can't, you, can't, you, can't you leave him alone? He's a good guy. Um, which I, I'm, I think my own feeling is Trump thinks that's true. And he just was too ignorant to know that that is incredibly inappropriate request to make, just as was his request on the heels of that to Dan Coats, the director of, of, of national intelligence, a former senator, and Mike Rogers, the head of the National Security Agency. Wow, I would really appreciate it if you could speak out and say, we see no evidence of collusion. And those guys said, we can't say that because we don't Alan, know that. Yeah, but Alan, here's the thing, though. 
and, and this is what I think is getting stuck in the craw of everybody on the Hill, including many in the Republican Party, is that on the worst case scenario, what President Trump did could be construed, could be construed, let me be clear, could be construed as obstruction of justice. At the best case, it is undue influence by the chief executive into his own administration saying back off of this. The optics on that are horrible. No, no. Believe me, they are, they are, they are many. But in my judgment, and I don't, you know, I'm not the all-seer here. It's just so stupid what he did that for me, it, come, it, it comes out of his ignorance. He believes there was no collusion. He wants these guys to say, hey, there was no collusion. He didn't issue any orders. This is what, what Nixon did. Nixon ordered the CIA to tell the FBI to stay the hell out of the Watergate stuff for national security reasons. That was very clearly obstruction. And, and Nixon knew it was untrue. In, in, in Trump's case, and I, I, at least this is the argument, which it's the only explanation that works for me, um, is that he's convinced that there was no meaningful collusion. Now, I don't know why he's so convinced of that in the evidence, of, especially with the Flynn stuff. Um, but, but, you know, he, he, he's thinking, I didn't collude, so my people must not have colluded. Well, guess what? That's why we have an investigation. But. You can't make those kinds of requests of people who, who don't even know, who haven't looked at the evidence, who haven't seen it. The evidence doesn't all exist yet. That's why you do an investigation. It was stupid. For me, it grew out of ignorance rather than an intent to say, and he never ordered anybody to do anything. And I'm not saying it's when he says to Comey, man, I sure hope you can see your way clear to leave Flynn alone. Um, it's in, it's incredibly stupid, totally inappropriate. Admiral, and Comey does what any knowledgeable person would say. It's like I can't do that. So Admiral Ken, hold on, Admiral Ken. Just that fact alone that that Donald Trump went not only to his FBI director and saying, "Hey, leave the Flynn thing alone," but also now being reported by several sources that he may have done the same thing for, to his intel chiefs that to you know refute the FBI possibility claims it strikes me that that shows intent to obstruct an investigation it would be no different than Admiral Ken if you had a command and there was let's say an NCIS investigation and you as a flag officer went to the NCIS investigators said, you know what, leave this alone. That could be also construed as obstruction. There's not a big difference here. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. And, I, I, you know, Alan, I love Alan. He's a great Republican colleague. And um, we, we've golfed many times together, but I'm, I'm, I think he's being overly generous here. And, and here, here's why. So, one, um, I, I'm not a big believer that ignorance of the law is an excuse. Anybody that's ever gotten a speeding ticket in a, an unfamiliar part of town um, knows this to be true. Uh, two, um, I have to believe that the president's uh, counsel, um, if they didn't tell him, sir, you can't do this, 
um, than they should have. And, and I, based on the fact that uh, the president uh, has, has made a reputation of being an outsider, he, he, he wants to do things his way. He, if he had listened to people tell him to do things a certain way, uh, I think he believes he wouldn't have won the presidency. So he said, you know what, screw that. I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not going to give uh, him as much leeway as as, um, as Alan has, uh, and I think your your analogy, Justin, is right on point. Alan, I, 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 I go back. Yeah, yeah. I go back. Hold on, I go back to the idea. Had it been just a discussion with Comey, that's just ignorance. If I'm Don McGahn as White House Counsel, I would have said, "Hey, boss." Back off of that. If it had just been Comey, I would have said ignorance. If it had been Comey and what happened in the firing of Comey, I could have said that's pushing the envelope. But when it's the combination of the discussions with Comey, the Lester Holt uh, interview, the the comments that were made to the Russian government officials that were in the Oval Office where he said, quote, we got rid of the nut job, or I'm sorry, we got rid of the quote-unquote nut job, and this will ease the pressure on the Russian investigation. That, to me, screams... Oh, and and, and, and I'm sorry, and on top of that, Justin, the conversations with the CIA director and, uh, not CIA, the uh, uh, director of national security and the director of national security agency, on top of all that. Yeah, I mean... I love the way you guys are suggesting that I'm an apologist for Trump. I'm just trying to understand what motivates the guy. And I will point out one thing to Ken, who, who, who likes to talk about ignorance of the law doesn't get you out of a speeding ticket, that it, it, which is true. Um, and it is also true that this president has many areas of ignorance when it comes to the, not only the law, but good behavior. With regard to proving obstruction, however, you have to you have to prove intent. Yep, and, and 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 so whether you whether you behave properly or not, you have to prove intent. Well, he never he 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 urged he urged Comey to maybe give up on Flynn, and then he and and that was the Flynn piece. The piece with with the director of national intelligence and uh, and the director of uh, of NSA, Mike Rogers, was could you guys come out and say that you don't think there's any collusion between my campaign and and the Russians? It was it wasn't the same issue. It wasn't a Flynn thing. It was wow. the broader collusion thing. It was insane to do it, and I. I would love to be able to say it's Don McGahn's fault, but when the president met with Comey, he kicked everybody out of the room he, so he could have a private conversation with Comey, which, of course, Comey went back, wrote down. We're going to find out everything that he wrote down. We're going to find out what he said to Coates, uh, the, the director of national intelligence, and to Mike Rogers. We're going to learn all of that. Everything we know is he asked if they could do it. They said, I can't do it, Mr. President. He didn't order them. He didn't follow it up. He didn't badger them. He didn't threaten them. He didn't. He just had it in his mind. Well, yeah, these are my guys. 
I can ask them stuff. They give me an answer, and and okay, all right. And then maybe, maybe, just maybe, he goes and talks to some of his guys, and they must think, if he talks to them, oh, my God, Mr. President, you can't do that. Um, I don't get the sense that this president has the understanding and the discipline to get the kind of advice that that he has around him if he would inquire of them, listen to it, and act on it. This is dangerous stuff. That's I completely agree with all of that, but for me, it doesn't it doesn't rise to the level of of obstruction. Um, but that's not for me to decide. That's for for Robert Mueller in his investigation to look at very hard. And and there's a lot of things we don't know. We don't know what else Flynn knows. We don't know what Flynn ever said to the president. We don't know many things that are super important to this entire Alan, enterprise. Alan Moore, let me, let me just jump in real quick, and I want to ask you this question. All things considered, is it not true that the actions of the president, ignorant or not, are walking a fine line bordering on criminal intent to obstruct or thwart an investigation? I, you know, I don't, you know, up to the edge of obstruct, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to go there. Believe me, I well understand why uh, why it's dangerous territory. Um, it's just horrendously inappropriate territory, and then it it feeds the the notion. People write memos, and then they then it gets leaked because it's just so amazing, over the top, rich with being wrong. That doesn't make it obstruction. That's all I was trying to say before about that. Um, an obstruction becomes an impeachable offense. I don't want to mess around in that territory, whether it's impeachment territory or not, because it is so stupid, so inappropriate, so wrong. Um, and I don't like to, 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 to grab onto the ignorance defense, because that's frightening when you just <laughs> You know, your pro- Nixon was not ignorant. Nixon knew exactly what he was doing. He, that guy was evil. Trump is, doesn't, in my judgment, know what he's doing. So he's dangerous and ignorant. Um, so but, take your, take but, your poison. Let me, Ad, let me go to Admiral Ken. Admiral Ken, it, it strikes me that the biggest problem that the Trump administration has in dealing with now a special counsel who is going to be investigating this with possible criminal charges are the president's own words to the media are almost in, almost demonstrates the intent perfectly. Which well, words I, are you talking about? The, the ones where he actively says, yes, I met with Comey. Comey's memo says he asked him to back off of the Flynn investigation. The words of President Trump saying I was going to fire him, which counterdicts the words of the Deputy Attorney General and the Attorney General who should have recused himself again, 
the series of comments and actions by the president themselves could possibly be enough to hurt the president and this administration by showing intent. Intent, as difficult as it is, if there is evidence, if you take a news clip, show it in front of a grand jury and say, hey, these are his own words, I would venture to say, again, not being an attorney, which is why I wish Dan was here, but I would venture to say that that would get a grand jury to say, yeah, we'll issue an indictment and let the jury process figure it out. But I think that his own words and his own actions put Trump in the crosshairs of possible impeaching or possible criminal action. That's my only concern. I don't want – I don't think this country is ready to deal with, as divided as it is, I don't think this country can sustain an impeachment process, let alone an impeachment process on a president that has been in office less than a hockey season. That is a big problem. So the president's biggest problem is the fact that um, he does not have – he does not come from a traditional um, elected political office background, and he doesn't know a lot of things that he should know. That's, that, that's, that's part one of the problem. Part two of the problem is that uh, either he, he does not have a propensity to listen to his counsel. Or two, which is even more frightening, he has people around him uh, within within reach of him who are either afraid or don't know how to tell him, sir, shut up and do this the right way or you're going to get yourself in trouble. Those two things constitute the president's biggest problem. I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone, um, anyone that's ever gone into a new job um, – knows everything that they need to know day one to be effective in that job. No one does. That, that, you know, I mean, even if you, even if you, even if you change uh, companies and take the same title, there's things you aren't going to, that, that there are things you're not going to know day one that you really need to know by, by day 10. It's just the way it works. But in most people's cases, there is, uh, there is a, a body of knowledge uh, in your staff or um, in, in, uh, in, in publications that you can get to to, to, uh, to, to to basically get you to the point where you're knowledgeable enough to do the job well and not be a danger to yourself, and in this case, a danger to the country. I think the, pro- the president's biggest problem is he, he, he basically he, he does what he's always done for 70-plus years, and it has worked for him. But this is a whole new ballgame. And it appears that it's not working for him real well. I agree with you that this is that an impeachment is the last thing that this country needs right now. It is. It, it, I, I really would have some serious concerns about the, the long-term stability of the republic if we had to go through that. And 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 finally, Alan, I, I did not mean to call you a Trump apologist. I know you way too well for that. Um, but I, I do think that. Um, to be overly generous at this point, overly generous at this point, it, it does the president a disservice because the people around him are being overly generous and he's not getting the message. Shut up and govern. Shut up and govern. Well, I we don't got... think that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't think that the people around him even get a, get any input. You know, he clears the room and he has a conversation with Comey, and who knows what he even says to people uh, about it. Um, I just I, I I have to laugh at the notion that I'm being overly generous to the president, <laughs> who I call ignorant of the law, stupid in his judgment, undisciplined in the way he operates. Um, when, uh, as as reasons for saying, I'm not seeing uh, intent here on an impeachable offense. I'm not comfortable with uh, with this man's behavior. But for me, I find that a really odd definition of generous. Only that event, Alan. I'm talking about that event. Yeah. Well, we got 20 minutes left in the show, guys. I do want to touch on the fact that in case you didn't know it with everything going on on the Hill and inside Washington, by the way, the president brought out the skinny budget today and it, and it really has proposed budget cuts that are very steep on medical programs such as Medicare, Medicaid and, uh, and lower income programs to uh, most of what would be considered middle America. Alan Moore, uh, I don't know if you've seen the presidential budget request for the upcoming fiscal year, but looking at glancing it over as I did earlier today on the flight down to Houston, it looked like to me that the president's budget almost hurts the base voters that got him elected. Am I off base on that? Well, it's a mix. Um uh, the, the people that hurts, uh, if you were simply trying to do a partisan impact statement, it probably would affect uh, non-voters and, uh, and very poor uh, uh, voters who are likely to vote Democrat somewhat more than the than the near poor, the, 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 the working class folks. The fact of the matter is, though, that this budget, which is, pardon the old expression, dead on arrival, um, had to try to figure out a way to get to a balanced budget in 10 years without touching Social Security or Medicare, the two biggest drivers of uh, of longer term physical challenges for the country, and in order to do that, he slashes everywhere else. So the focus is on, oh my gosh, he's going to cut back on food stamps. Oh my gosh, he's going to slow down the growth of Medicaid. Oh my gosh, he's going to take on the the, the child uh, health program. He's going to take on Social Security disability payments, all of which are very controversial and very tough things to do, and they're talking about doing them in a big way, um, even as they leave Social Security and Medicare alone. And then I haven't seen the tax number yet, but that's the other part of, of course, any budget. And, uh, and then the only other way, having slashed all this he, 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 got, he, he really smashes EPA, foreign aid, um, uh, a, a whole host of 
of smaller programs hitting them to the tune of 25 to 30% cuts, none of which is realistic in, a, in our governmental system, um, and then assumes a 3% growth rate. So you always have to look at the growth rate assumptions, too, because that's where the additional revenue comes in. If we can just generate enough economic growth, we can, we can, we can increase tax revenue enough to bring ourselves towards budget. So, oh, and, of course, we don't touch defense. In fact, we let defense grow. It's it's a it, it's an odd wishful thinking of a certain point of view kind of uh, of budget that you can't ignore if you're in the Congress, but it's not going to be anybody's template for uh, where way, to go from here. By the way, we've got a caller. Caller on the four eight four. You're on with backroom politics. Hey, how Caller? are you? Fine. I said, What's hey. I said, hey, how are you? Fine. What's your question, all, sir? I don't have a question. I'm just listening to your. I'm just listening to your radio show. Appreciate it. Thank oh, you, sir. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to to listening in. We always like uh, uh, live uh, live listeners. We do like that. We're gonna put him back on hold so you can listen to the rest of the show. But. Uh, Alan, I want to go back to something you were saying as far as it not affecting those who put Trump in office. The reality no, is no, no, that no, 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 no. I didn't say it didn't affect them. <laughs> but, but it I said, to me, if you look at it, affects them in a big way. I think it affects it in an even bigger way. Um, still poorer voters um, who who rely on Medicaid, food stamps, um, uh, disability, who are not necessarily Trump voters. That's all I was saying. No, no, no. The whole lower tier. Yeah, but if you look at, for example, you you take cuts into Medicare, (laughs) Medicaid, $600 billion hit uh, to, to medical support in the budget. Okay? So you look at S-CHIP, health insurance for low-income children. You look at the food programs for infants and children that are going to be affected. Those affect rural communities in places like West Virginia, where it, where Trump won heavily by over 40%. You look at places like Kansas, Iowa. You look at the proposed budget cuts to the flood insurance program, and he's got Republicans in Louisiana screaming for his head. Understanding you can't make everybody happy in this budget process, but it seems like Trump did this in a vacuum. Well, first first of all, it would be interesting to know what the president knows of his own budget. Um, Now, he's not exactly, as we know, he's not exactly a detail guy, so... (laughs) And he's out of the country when it's when it's released, right? So, so I I I have no idea what his uh, involvement has been in all of this. I think there was some some major delegation. Look, th- th- this we we would need some other analysis to find out who who takes the biggest hit here. Okay, so yes, there are many rural folks who who would have voted for Trump who. 
who are on food stamps, for example, or take advantage of S-CHIP or, 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 or recently went on to Medicaid. All I'm saying is I'll bet, and, and it, it, who cares, I'll bet that even more non-voters and Democrats would be hit because the big bucks for these programs is in urban areas, urban poor. But it, it, it's not really it, – it shouldn't be about – Wow, which which voters get hit the hardest? The fact is that this whole lower tier of the economy is is taking disproportionate hits here because they decided to leave Social Security and Medicare off of uh, off of the the uh, the table, um, and those are the two giant things. There are plenty of Trump voters there, plenty of Democrat voters there. It's it's not about the partisanship. It, it should be about what makes the most sense for the country long term? But you then have to go make the case, and you can't do it in a in a political back, uh, vacuum. You got to pay attention to who's getting hurt. This yeah. this is not it is probably close to an equal opportunity uh, bunch of harm. It's not going to happen. Um, it it's uh, you know I guess you can say, hey, at least they put something out there that tries to get towards a balanced budget in 10 years, acknowledging that maybe that's uh, uh, a goal that we ought to reflect upon given our 17 plus trillion dollar national debt. Um, But, but uh, you know, this is top to bottom. This thing is not going to go very far, but the president has a voice. They'll be in negotiations. It's Democrats, Republicans, there's no 50-vote majority in the Senate that's going to get this, uh, get get uh, uh, the appropriations bills passed, and uh, uh, there's just an enormous amount of work ahead. I'm guessing the people in the Congress are saying, "Oh my God, Mr. President, this is not that helpful," um, but because uh, we, we're not going to be able to defend this stuff, uh, Republicans, they're, they're not going to defend. Admiral Ken, 54 billion dollar increase in defense spend. Uh, Justin, you broke up a little bit, but I think I, I think I understood the question. Um, so, the of course, you know, I, I'm I'm always happy to see uh, the military taken into consideration uh, with with the budget. Um, and I probably uh, you, you probably will never hear me say to you, "That's too much money. Don't give us that much." You, you're never going to hear me say that. Um, I think, though, the, the rational part of my brain also will say that the thing that one of the things that troubled me about this budget was it's predicated on a 3% growth every year for 10 years. Okay, so I, I'm not an economist. I've never even played one on TV, but I'm pretty sure that that hasn't happened in a long time, and I don't think it's going to happen again over the next 10 years. Um, the... Um, the, the the nature of the threats that we have today and the ones that are going to emerge, especially in the uh, the, the area of the of the, uh, the the East and South China Sea, uh, are not going to diminish. They are going to grow, and I think that um, hopefully uh, my my former colleagues in the Pentagon had a pretty good hand in uh, in crafting what they needed in order to be able to counter those threats. But, um, but like I said before, I, I think the concern that we can, we can honestly obtain 3% growth or higher 
for 10 straight years um, is just, um, that's just not reality. Uh, the other part of the budget that concerned me was the $1.2 billion that he wanted to uh, put toward uh, um, the wall. Um, again, being a Texan, having spent a good amount of time um, uh, in, on the border, this is, this, is, this is not a good use of, 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 our, of our already uh, challenged resources. That money can, can, can go someplace else. Alan Moore, uh, 29% cut to State Department. Does that pose a security risk for us? Well, it it depends on whether one uh, is of the view that that assistance that we provide, which is less than one percent of our total budget, to other countries, particularly in the world of global health, where I've spent a lot of uh, a lot of my uh, uh, later career years. Um, if if you consider helping other people, keeping them alive, helping them live longer, helping their kids stay alive. Um, uh, is is a is a good investment in making friends for America, then it would be a disaster. I happen to think it would be a disaster. I think some of the best some of the, the best return on investment in terms of international friendships is via the the foreign assistance uh, that that we provide, particularly in the in in the health sector and in in child immunizations and reducing child mortality, and and so. And, and there are plenty of Republicans who agree with me on that, which is right. uh, which is why it's just in, in, including the Senate Majority Leader and and others. It's like, come on, you guys! Um, but th- that one is not going to get a lot of time or attention. It, it gets it gets uh, it's part of the story now right. of what he's going to do to EPA, what he's going to do to 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 the State Department foreign aid foreign assistance budget. Well, I it also it, see it also, happening. Alan, Alan, it also affects, I mean, you're looking at hits to organizations like the Agency for International Development, USAID, uh, Trade and Development Agency, uh, TDA. Uh, all of those are key funding sources for international development and international support assistance. Does that send a bad, does that send a bad message internationally? No, I don't think that they're paying attention internationally right now. And the country, the, the the countries where we, where we do the most, the stuff that makes the most difference, are poor, are, are poorer countries. So, it's not like they're all sitting around reading the daily papers um, in 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 rural sub-Saharan Africa about what the president's budget proposes. Um, uh, the, the the question is whether um, we made major changes to scale back. Um, uh, efforts that we've we've spent years uh, putting together with large uh, scale uh, bipartisan support, um, and and uh, in in the Europeans, they're they're not affected by our foreign aid very much. Although they all have foreign aid investments themselves, because they find it in their interest as well. And a lot of what we do internationally, we do in concert with other wealthier developed countries and right. partly it's for humanitarian reasons and partly it's for st- to, to, to encourage stability and, and develop friendships so that some of these places don't become even worse breeding grounds for terrorists who will wander in all of our countries and, and do harm. So 
I mean, I've heard many, the, the, the best arguments for foreign aid are made by defense people because they yeah. understand that development and diplomacy are critically important uh, partners uh, uh, along with defense spending to, uh, to maintaining security in the world. Right. Five, we got five minutes left here, and we've gone through an entire show. Great show, by the way. But I do want to at least touch on Admiral Ken. What didn't we cover this week? So after much, much uh, waiting and uh, hand-wringing by a number of my, uh, my colleagues that are still in uniform, the, uh, the reserve flag promotion list came out today. And uh, Justin, our friend, Captain Jackie McClellan's name was on it. So congratulations hey! to our select Admiral Jacqueline McClellan of uh, Springfield, Virginia. Jackie, if you're listening, we love you. And way to go, girl. Way to go. Congratulations, Admiral Select McClellan. That's fantastic. Alan Moore, what didn't we cover this week? Well, <laughs> we didn't cover the fact that in... In Washington, D.C., where they legalized individual possession of pot, they didn't make it legal to buy or sell except for medicinal purposes. So pulling in the entrepreneurial uh, skill of the American mind, uh, local uh, the creative uh, mind, uh, lo- local entrepreneurs have started selling uh, products uh, delivered to the home where they will, in addition to whatever you buy, add in a few free joints. So um, we're, leave it to America and in its <laughs> creativity and, and, and drive to figure out how to get away, to get around any uh, <laughs> any limitation in the law? I need I need toilet paper, dishwashing detergent, and joints. Hey, uh, one of the things and we I, have a funny, funny story coming out of Saudi Arabia. So apparently, a Twitter session was scheduled for President Trump to have a Twitter, uh, almost a, a Twitter community talk with Saudi Arabian youth. The White House quickly replaced the president and put Ivanka Trump in that, which I thought, A, could be the smartest move on Twitter this administration has made, and B, eh, giving credit to Ivanka, apparently she did a good job with that. But that being the case, we've got a couple of minutes left. I uh, want to say thank you to Admiral Ken uh, and Alan Moore. Again, another remote session. And also want to say, if you want to, by the way, this has been Backroom Politics, the best political talk show you've never heard of, live on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, You can follow us on our Twitter account, at Backroom Politics. You can also check out our commentary from several of our folks on our partners at Sidewire. Go to Sidewire.com or download the Sidewire app on Google Play or iTunes Store. And... You can also email me your comments and concerns, justin at backroompolitics.org. We will be back live next Tuesday from somewhere, and we will continue to bring you the best in non 
party line discussions on political events going on in the nation's capital. But again, on behalf of Admiral Ken Carradine, Alan Moore, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We'll see you next week, America. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This is Backroom Politics. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.